Welcome to the Wrap Yourself in Joy podcast. I'm Karen Dwyer, speaker, teacher, and author of four books on joy. If you are searching for more joy in your life, join me for about 15 minutes every week. It could change your life. My newest series is called Nehemiah and Rebuilding Hope. It's based on my book, Nehemiah, Rebuilding Hope and Joy in Your Life. It has an imprimatur and a built-in study guide. Today, I'm inviting you to join a Cup of Joy women's group. You can invite a few friends to join you in listening to the podcast, then meet over coffee each week to go through the study questions. For more information, go to wrapyourselfinjoy.com and look for Cup of Joy Women. The podcast is brought to you by the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network. Please subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Hello. Welcome to Wrap Yourself in Joy. I'm Karen Dwyer, and you are listening to podcast number one of my fourth season called Nehemiah, Rebuilding Hope. It follows my book, Nehemiah, Rebuilding Hope and Joy in Your Life. Today, you will meet Nehemiah and learn a bit of the background for the book. I hope you were able to listen to my last podcast, Esther and Turnaround Joy. If you enjoyed the book of Esther, I know you're going to love Nehemiah. If you've never studied Nehemiah before, now is the time to start, as it has so many applications and relationships to our lives at this time. Chapter 1 begins with the story of a man named Nehemiah, whose brother Hanani returns from Jerusalem and comes to visit. When Nehemiah asks his brother about his people, he is shocked to learn of the desperate condition of his people and family back home. The Jerusalem temple, destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, had been rebuilt 70 years ago, but most else was in shambles. Nehemiah begins to weep and mourn about his homeland and his family. He passionately seeks God in prayer. The good news is this. God answers his prayer, and Nehemiah inspires his discouraged people to join together in rebuilding their city, their nation, and their lives. The book of Nehemiah speaks to our faith today, even though it was written almost 2,500 years ago. It can inspire you and your family in times of discouragement, trouble, or worry in the face of life's troubles and challenges. Nehemiah reminds us of how God's presence and power are with us and can transform lives. In this study, we will be reminded that God calls us to pray, to trust, and to surrender. He longs to be the center of our lives. He desires to strengthen us and give us courage, fortitude, and direction to rebuild what's been broken. If you desire more hope and encouragement to overcome fear and discouragement in your life, let's together allow Nehemiah to teach us to walk with God in new hope and joy. The book of Nehemiah is considered a historical book in Scripture, meaning it's part of recorded history. It details the third return of God's people from the Babylonian captivity starting around 605 B.C. In 478 B.C., during the reign of King Ahasuerus, Esther and Mordecai, through God's providential hand, helped save the nation of Israel from annihilation. The book of Nehemiah follows the time of Esther. In 458 B.C., King Artaxerxes I, the son of Ahasuerus, and possibly the stepson of Esther, allowed Ezra the priests, and many others to return to Jerusalem to beautify their temple, to worship, and to sacrifice to God. They found the city still in ruins from the Babylonian invasions. 
By 445 BC, the people were so disheartened as many of the city walls and gates were burned down and they had faced great opposition to the rebuilding. This is the time where we meet Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the author of the book, although some Jewish historians attribute at least part of the book to Ezra. As you read chapters 1 through 7 and chapters 12 to 13 in Nehemiah, it becomes obvious that Nehemiah wrote most of the book because of the first-person narration. It actually sounds a bit like Nehemiah's memoirs, if we were to rename it. However, chapters 8, 9, and 10 may have been written and inserted by Ezra at a later date. So, why study the book of Nehemiah? Romans 15, 4 reminds us of this. For whatever was written in former times was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. And that is exactly what we will find in Nehemiah. Hope. In fact, the book of Nehemiah will reassure you that prayer changes everything, that every obstacle can be overcome, and that every false accusation or persecution can lead to persistence, more prayer, and joyous victory, even in the most difficult situation. You and I will be able to say with Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So let's read Nehemiah 1, 1 through 6, and verse 11. As the book opens, Nehemiah is living at Susa, the capital of Persia. He lives away from his family and homeland in Jerusalem. Can't you just imagine how much he would await to hear about his family back home? Just then, his brother arrives with news. Nehemiah 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, that's around our November, in the 20th year, that's in the reign of Artaxerxes, and I was in Susa, the capital. One of my brothers, Hanani, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them about the Jews that survived, those who had escaped the captivity, and about Jerusalem. They replied, The survivors there in the province who escaped captivity are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, O Lord God, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayers of your servant. At that time, I was cupbearer to the king. So here we meet Nehemiah. Verse 11 tells us he's the cupbearer to Artaxerxes, the great king of Persia and son of Ahasuerus, who ruled over 127 provinces from the border of China on the east to the Mediterranean on the west from 465 to 424 BC. He lives and works in Susa, the winter home of Persian kings. He was a cupbearer who tasted every drop of wine and morsel before the king would consume it. In our culture, we might call him a professional wine taster or food connoisseur. However, this position is much more. If the cupbearer dropped dead or would not eat in fear of poisoning from the king's enemies, the king would know not to eat either. Now, the cupbearer was a close position to the king. 
The king depended on him, trusted him, and would likely talk with him often. He might be considered chief of staff today. One day when Nehemiah was going about his life as usual, his family and friends arrived from Judah. Nehemiah was obviously happy to see Hanani and hear the news of his family who were still living in the homeland of Jerusalem. So he quickly asked about Jerusalem. The report was bad news. The survivors there in the province who escaped exile are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. When Nehemiah heard these words, he became greatly discouraged and brokenhearted. He wrote, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. In other words, he was deeply affected. He sobbed internally and externally. The first impression we have of Nehemiah is that he's a man of status, a godly and compassionate man, and a man of prayer. Although he could have continued to enjoy the delectable palace wine and food that he tasted every day with the king, in his grief for family and friends, he turned to God. He fasted and prayed. He cried out to God on behalf of his broken brethren and homeland over 500 miles away. Our lesson here is that Nehemiah talked to God. What's the first thing you do when you see trouble? Well, the first thing Nehemiah did when he had great emotional pain over the destruction back home was to turn to God. He took his emotional pain and his heartbreak to God in prayer. He did not immediately try to fix the problems. He realized that only God could bring solutions to such devastation. So he worshiped the Creator, the Great and Awesome One, the Holy One, the Faithful One. Nehemiah knew the situation was the result of the nation's sin. It was not God's fault. He knew that God loved his people, and in this love, he would depend on God as the only one who could guide and fix the nation. In verse 5, we could see Nehemiah gives us this example. Adore and worship God before you intercede for a problem. Jesus taught us the same. When the disciples asked him to teach them to pray, he said to pray like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let's look at the four names that Nehemiah used to address God and worship him in verse 5. O Lord of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandment. The first name, translated, O Lord, is from Hebrew, Yahweh. Yahweh is the divine personal name that God gives and gave in love for the people of Israel to use. Yahweh is the Lord God, the self-existent one, the one who's always present. He hasn't left town. He's not left us alone. And so you might say, Oh Lord, you are with me. Oh God, you love me. You never leave me. Then in verse 5, the next words are, Oh Lord of heaven. In Hebrew, of heaven is the word Elohim, which refers to God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and the judge of the universe. He reigns throughout all eternity and is unlimited in strength and time. We can praise the Mighty One who is above all gods. We can praise the Creator who sees all in His creation. So you might say, O Lord of heaven, you are my Creator. The next words are great and awesome God. In Hebrew, the word translated great is hadol, 
which refers to the magnitude and importance of God. Psalm 48.1 uses the word in praise. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. The word translated awesome is from hell in Hebrew. And that's what it means, awesome and holy reverence, expressed in adoration, worship, and holy living. For example, Hael is used in Psalm 66.3. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds because of your power. Your enemies cringe before you. All the earth worships you. They sing praises to you. They sing praises to your name. So we can praise the Lord. He is awesome, and the earth worships him. His deeds are magnificent. So you can say, God is my awesome and great God. The last phrase that's added is this, God who keeps covenant in steadfast love. In Hebrew, the word is hesed, and it means the God who guards his covenant relationship by keeping his promises of steadfast love and unchanging devotion to his people. For example, hesed is used in Psalm 40, verse 11. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness keep me safe forever. So we praise the Lord who loves his people. You can say, the Lord God keeps me safe forever. He is my loving, devoted God. It's time to conclude our journey for today with a bit of reflection. It seems like we just started. But we did meet the key person and author, Nehemiah, plus learn a bit of the background. So the questions for reflection as we begin our study on Nehemiah today might include these. One, which of the names for God that Nehemiah uses would you like to use more in your prayer? And two, how will you do that? Why not spend a few minutes trying them out and adoring God with these praises? You could say them with me. Lord God, you are the self-existent one, the one who is always present. I praise you. You are with me. Oh God, you love me and you never leave me. Lord of heaven, you are the creator who sees all of his creation. I praise you. Oh Lord of heaven, the mighty one, you are my creator. Great and awesome God, you are greatly to be praised. You are awesome in your deeds. All the earth worships you. They sing praises to you, sing praises to your name. I praise you, awesome and magnificent Lord. Lord God, you are my great and awesome God. And lastly, the Lord God is the covenant keeper. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness is sure. I praise you, God, who loves your people. Lord God, you keep me safe forever. You are my loving, devoted God. Well, we've come to the end of our podcast for today. I want you to know I'm so happy that you've joined our Nehemiah Rebuilding Hope podcast series. You can find bookmarks for the series on my website, wrapyourselfinjoy.com, or why not follow along with a study group called Cup of Joy Women? You can sign up on my website, and I'll send you a study guide of questions to follow. Also, you could get my book, Nehemiah, Rebuilding Hope and Joy in Your Life. Until next week, I'm praying for you that you will grow in faith, hope, 
love, and joy as we study Nehemiah together. Thanks for joining me today. Please visit me on my website, wrapyourselfinjoy.com, where you can learn more about my books, download free bookmarks, and connect with me. Please follow me on your favorite podcast app and invite a friend to join you too. You can download the show notes from today at wrapyourselfenjoypodcast.com. Until next week, this is your friend, Karen Dwyer, reminding you to wrap yourself in joy. <music>